Amazing. Wasn't that worship incredible this morning? Jan and team did such a good job. I have felt such a strong sense of the joy of the Lord this morning and also a sense of, ah, you know sometimes you come to church and you feel like the Holy Spirit's doing something, like everything just seems to connect to each other and the words that come and the testimonies that come and the worship that's brought. I'm really excited about what God might do this morning. We're in our series of what is Jesus doing now? Uh, If you've been following the series, you'll know that the first week we had Katie talking about the fact that Jesus is reigning, and last week we had Sam talking about how Jesus is interceding for us, that he's uh, praying and standing in the gap for us. And today we're going to be looking at the fact that Jesus is advocating. And I like this series because we do spend so often looking back at what Jesus has done in the Bible And sometimes we think about what it will be like when we meet Jesus in the future, but it's important to also be thinking about what is Jesus doing right now? So the word advocating, I looked up the definition of this word, I knew what it meant, but I just wanted to uh, look at what the official description was. So Bernie, if you could bring up that description. It says, I think this was the Merriam-Webster dictionary, that the word advocating means to publicly recommend or support help someone stand up for their rights or stand in their defense. That's what Jesus is doing for us. But when I first heard the word advocating, what comes to mind for me, and maybe for you too, is people that advocate for those who need help, for those that are maybe struggling in life or who need a defense. I thought of people like Rosa in our church who advocates for victims of human trafficking. I also thought about some of my friends and my colleagues who have advocated for me when I've needed it, when I've experienced racism or sexism. I've had friends that have stood in my defense. And that is incredible. That is a beautiful example of some of what we're talking about when we say that Jesus advocates for us. But actually, Jesus goes far beyond that. That's just a small glimpse. Because he doesn't just stand up for us when something is happening to us when we're being wronged, he stands in our defense even where we're the ones that are doing something wrong. Even when we're the guilty party, Jesus stands in our defense. That's a crazy, crazy thought. But that's the scripture that we're going to look at today. So if you've got your Bibles, we'll turn to 1 John 1. We're going to read from verse 5 onwards, and we're actually going to go into chapter 2 and read the beginning of chapter 2 as well. We're going to look at how Jesus is always advocating for us, even when we're the guilty party. If you haven't got your Bible, don't worry, it's going to come up on the screen behind. So, this is the message that we have heard from him, and we declare to your God, to you God, sorry, it's really hard to read because the writing's really small, so I tell you what, I'm going to read it here. My eyesight's not as good as I thought, I'm getting old. This is a message that we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 
So hopefully there's no one in this room thinking sin is not an issue for me ever. Because the Bible says we deceive ourselves if we think that's the case. It goes on to say, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus has paid the price for our sin. We've been singing about it this morning. If you're a Christian here today, you will know this already and you'll be thinking, yeah, I know that, tell me something new. When we know the truth of this, that means that when we do sin, which we've just read, we all do, we can immediately run to God, ask for forgiveness, and then live in the peace and the acceptance and the joy of knowing that we're forgiven and carry on with our lives living for him in theory. But if you're anything like me, we don't always do that. We might say that that's what we would do because we know that that's the right answer. But in reality, the way we react to sin can be quite different to what we profess to we believe. I'm going to go through some common ways that I've seen Christians, friends, uh, people in church, and myself respond to our own sin. Um, You can call them the five Ds if you want, because they do all start with a D. The first D, the first way that we can sometimes find ourselves reacting to our own sin, is the sin of denial. We might kid ourselves it didn't happen, or that actually we meant something else. I probably lost count of the number of times I've said, oh, I wasn't gossiping. I just thought it was really important you needed to know. Definitely wasn't sin. Uh, or at the very least, oh, it wasn't that bad because everyone was, everyone was doing it. I mean, even, even the pastor was doing it, so it should be fine. Oh, no, maybe we did something wrong. By the way, I'm not saying any of the pastors did sin. <laughs> but they are not perfect either. It's just an example. But we can find all kinds of ways to deny the fact that we've sinned. Or we can be defensive. We can give you a whole bunch of reasons why what we've done is justified or wasn't our fault. Or even deflect. So sometimes we might find ourselves saying things like, well, you know, I just had no choice really because the situation meant that I I couldn't make any other choice but to sin. Or, but it was so-and-so's fault because they put so much pressure on me. We can also find ourselves jumping to being sure that we're going to be determined. We're going to fix this through sheer determination and willpower. We'll say, right, okay, I'm going to make this up to God. I'm going to make this right. And I'm going to make sure I don't sin again just by my own strength of will, which we've already proved to ourselves is not enough because we sinned. And there's nothing that we can do that is going to make us acceptable before God and cancel out our sin enough because we keep on sinning. Determination alone is not enough. And dodging, the last one. We can dodge God. 
oh, I can't face him right now. I don't really want to go to church or I don't really want to pray or I don't want to read my Bible or I don't want to see other people that are Christians because I don't want to face up to what I've done. So I'm just going to distract myself over here and I'm going to do some other fun things and just pretend like that didn't happen. All of these can have an element of truth to them. It's not that they're completely wrong. Sometimes we are partly led to sin by other people's actions. Sometimes there are other things to blame as well, like a difficult upbringing can sometimes cause you to make choices that you might not have otherwise made. But the point is this, we always have a choice. So there's always an element of sin for us. These are the reactions that we do have, sometimes instinctively. I'm going to share with you that the one that I tend to jump to most, if I'm not responding healthily, is dodging. Could we just jump back to the list of D's for a second? Sorry, Bernie. I want you to take a look at this list and just think to yourself, do I ever do any of those? And if I did, which one would be my, my one that I might be most prone to? Oh, I skipped one as well, actually, sorry. Despair and shame. I might as well give up, I'm a useless Christian. Ever said that to yourself? It's important to know what we jump to because actually that tells us something about what we really believe. We can say that we know we're forgiven. We can say that we know that Jesus is our righteousness as we read in that scripture. But if we're jumping to these things, there's a part of us that doesn't fully believe that. We're not necessarily living how we profess we should be. So for me, it's dodging. That's the one I do the most. I can be a bit of an ostrich, so I bury my head in the sand and get really busy with other stuff and just not think about the thing that I need to deal with or cover my ears and be like, la, 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 nope, that didn't happen. I'm just going to hide from God and hopefully he won't notice what I did. And it's ridiculous, of course, because who can hide from God? He's kind of everywhere. It's hard to do. But I want to share with you a personal story of the first time I really realized that this was often my default, this dodge. <laughs> and uh, it's, you might be surprised at what I'm going to share just because it might seem a bit like TMI, too much information. <laughs> but I want to share with you something real because this is real. We all sin. None of us are perfect. I was watching the guys from in the youth going off to New Day last week and to seeing them again this morning celebrating. It was just incredible. And it reminded me of when I was younger. I grew up as a Christian. I can't really remember a time I didn't know God. And that youthful excitement about Jesus is amazing. I just love seeing it in them. It really inspires me. And I loved it when I was in that phase of life. I was really excited about God. And then I tried really hard to live for God and not sin in all the ways I understood until one day I didn't. <clears throat> so when I was 17, I lost my virginity. And before you ask, no, I was not married. I did not get married at 17. I lost my virginity to someone I wasn't even in a relationship with. In a moment of a mixture of alcohol and peer pressure and foolishness. So I know that might feel like an overshare to some of you. Like, why are we talking about this? But it's real life, because do you know how I dodged my sin? 
Afterwards, I went home and I vividly remember saying to myself, even though 17 is a long time ago for me now, sadly, I vividly remember saying to myself, well, that's me out of the club then. I can't say I follow Jesus now. Virginity is something, if you lose it, you can't get it back. And I thought, well, that's me, I'm done. How, how can I be a Christian anymore? And I was so ashamed that I just hid from God. I didn't know how to deal with it. I thought that I wouldn't be accepted in a church, that I couldn't tell anyone at church because all they would say is, well, you're not a Christian then. That lie I fed myself about how I respond to sin led me not only to hide from God and stop going to church, it led me to stop praying, to stop reading my Bible, to stop walking with God. I never stopped believing in him. I'd already encountered him too much to ever be able to do that. But I definitely was avoiding him. And it led me into even more sin. I thought, well, I might as well carry on living this way then because I'm out of the club. So this is my lot and I must deal with it. The sad thing is, I spent years thinking that because I didn't understand that I was forgiven. I didn't understand that Jesus was advocating for me, not just in the past, but still now. He was standing in my defense. And I wish I'd realized sooner. I wish that someone had said to me, if I'd have actually opened up and told them, you can just run to God despite your sin. Now, please don't mishear me. I'm not making light of sin. I'm not saying that what I did was fine and that God didn't mind. I'm not saying any of that. Sin is serious, and I'm not wanting to minimize it. There were real consequences for me in the practical sense, and there have been real consequences for me in the spiritual sense, and it led me down a whole path that I didn't want to go down. We also know that Jesus' blood was shed for our sin. And I'm more than aware that when I sin, I'm making light of that sacrifice. So I don't want anyone to mishear me and say that I don't think it matters. And for those of you in the room that maybe don't follow Jesus or haven't thought about when sex is and isn't good versus a sin, uh, that's a whole other talk. But what I would say is the Bible tells us that sex belongs in marriage. And if you want to know more about that, we've got a series on our website, a sex series, uh, believe it or not, because it's an important topic that we sometimes shy away from. And you can actually look up that series and listen or watch uh, a talk on that if you want more information. But I wanted to share it because things like that do happen when we're young. And oh my goodness, do I wish it hadn't. And if... If there's any youth out there that that haven't made those kind of mistakes, that is brilliant, and please don't. (laughs) That would be my my, uh, prayer for you, really. But when we do, we can go back to Jesus. The reason we can go back to Jesus is because it wasn't ever my goodness that God was looking at. Can we go on to the next slide, please, Bernie? It wasn't because I was good that I was acceptable before Jesus, that I was acceptable before God. It was because Jesus is good. So the fact that I'd done something that was not good 
shouldn't have ever made me think that I was disqualified from approaching God. Because it was never about my goodness in the first place. And I think sometimes we can forget that. How can we lose God's favour if we didn't earn it in the first place? And we've got a great quote from Tim Keller that puts it this way. We can bring up the slide. Can you guys read that? It says, The gospel of justifying faith means that while Christians are, in themselves, still sinful and sinning, yet in Christ, in God's sight, they are accepted and righteous. So both are true at the same time. It means that the more you see your own flaws and sins, the more precious, electrifying, and amazing God's grace appears to you. On the other hand, the more aware you are of God's grace and acceptance in Christ, the more able you are to drop your denials and self-defenses and admit the true dimensions and character of your sin. I know that I stand here today not because I'm good, but because he's good. So what's the right reaction to sin? The scripture tells us. It says... If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We just confess, repent, and we're forgiven. Some of us really struggle to believe that. I've spoken to Christians in their 50s and their 60s, Christians who have been following Jesus for years and years who would still sometimes admit, I don't know if I'm really forgiven. I don't know if I'm really forgiven. But God's word says that we are, not because of our righteousness, but because of his. We can be confident that Jesus is advocating for us. And when we're confident of that, it gives us the courage to go back to God, no matter how shameful the thing is that we've done, and say, God, this is what I did. I'm not proud of it. I want to confess it before you. I want to repent of it. And I want to receive your forgiveness. Matt Chandler, a pastor in America, uh, wrote this. The marker of someone who understands the gospel of Jesus is this. When they stumble and fall, when they screw up, they run to God and not from him. Because they clearly understand that their acceptance before God is not and never was based upon their behavior, but on the righteous life of Jesus Christ and his sacrificial death. In a few moments, I'm going to invite you to confess with me. Don't worry, it doesn't mean you have to stand up here and talk about your sex life. But I am going to lead you in a, in a prayer together, and we're going to confess before God, and we're going to repent. We don't do this very often as a church. Lots of other churches and different um, expressions and denominations actually do this quite regularly. They will confess corporately together, uh, and it's not about just repeating some words together so that we can all say, oh, look, yep, we ticked a box of confession. It's about really being provoked by the words and thinking about what it is to confess and repent, what it looks like. And then I'm going to give you some time to just do business with God if there's anything that you feel that you need to repent of, that, that maybe you've dodged, that maybe you've been in denial about 
that maybe you've been a little bit defensive of or you've deflected the blame elsewhere. Maybe some things where you felt a little bit of despair. Like maybe you're not a good enough Christian. Whatever it is, I want to give you some time to deal with that this morning. Bring it before God. Run to God with it, knowing that you are forgiven because his word says so. So I want to tell you what that running back to God looked like for me. When I eventually realized I could go back to God, I had spent on and off probably seven years away from church. Yep, probably about seven years. I ended up miserable, really far from God just missing him so much, missing my old life, missing my church family, just missing the purpose and the peace and the joy of walking with him. And I found myself living with a man that was not my husband. As I sat watching the gospel story on a God TV channel or something, I can't remember what it was, I was just hit again by the sacrifice that Jesus made, by the blood that he shed to cover over our sins. And as I watched it, it was like a light bulb moment. I just suddenly realized, what am I doing? I can just run to him and it is covered. I'd like to say that that was a really quick, easy decision and that somehow everything just went back to being lovely and rosy again. But that is not real life. And I loved what um, that lady brought, that word at the end, about how sometimes we have to go through those difficult and challenging times before the brilliance is seen in the diamond. That was very much my experience. I made a decision to turn from my sin and run back to God. I made a decision to leave that relationship, to move out of that home, to end what I had. But it was one of the hardest decisions I've ever made in my life. I really loved him, and he was about to ask me to marry him, and I wanted to marry him. And I remember waiting until he went to work and just thinking one word, and the word was run. Not run from him, he was a nice guy. Run from my sin, run. Otherwise, I'm gonna be trapped in my own sin forever. And I might have wanted the guy, but I did not want the life without God. And I remember grabbing my stuff, just shoving things into a bag, phoning my mum and saying, can you just come and pick me up and take me to your house? I'll explain on the way. I didn't take any furniture. I didn't take anything. I, I literally just had like a couple of bags. And as I got into the car, I was sobbing because all the way down the stairs, I felt my sin trying to pull me back again. I remember hearing like, thoughts almost arguing with themselves in my head, like, what are you doing you're really happy in this relationship, you really love him, why are you leaving, you're so going to regret this, you're going to die alone, all kinds of dramatic things. Uh, and also, you know, you've got no money, you've got nowhere to live, you've got nowhere to go. All sorts of things are running through my head. Every human part of me was urging me to go back into my flat, unpack my things and wait for my boyfriend to come home. But there was this deep 
cry in my spirit that just said, run. And as I got into the car, I remember saying to my mum, just drive. And she said, what's wrong? And I said, I'm leaving him, just drive. She was like, what's happened? Has something happened? What's he done? I was like, nothing, he's great, just drive. And then when we got to her house, I poured out my story to her and she did not understand. She was like, just go back if you love him then. I was like, mum, I can't. I don't want to live in my sin anymore. Three years of him begging for me to come back, my mum telling me to go back, and some of my friends telling me to go back too. It took three years before I really felt like I could stand strong and say, there's no part of me that's tempted to go back there. And every time I faced a temptation, I just had to run and run and run again back to God and say, God, would you help me? Because sin wants me back, but I want you. And now, years later, it was the best decision I ever made. I have the loveliest husband who makes my ex look pretty poop, to be honest. And when Jan was leading us in worship earlier, we sang a refrain that I thought, as we sang it, that is my testimony. That is my testimony. It's these words from the first song, Glorious Day. I needed rescue. My sin was heavy. But chains break at the weight of your glory. I needed shelter. I I was an orphan. But you call me a citizen of heaven. When I was broken, you were my healing. Now your love is the air that I'm breathing. I have a future. My eyes are open. Because when you called my name, I ran out of that grave, out of the darkness, into your glorious day. I ran out of the grave. And that is my exhortation to you this morning. If you are in sin, run out of it and into God. Because he is waiting for you with open arms. Run to him. I want to lead us now in a time of confession and repentance and an opportunity for you to run to him with whatever it is you need to take him. And if you think you're without sin, if you're thinking, oh, I can't think of anything, we have read this morning that we've all got it, so there's got to be something. It might be big, it might be small, but sin is sin and it needs dealing with. So I'm going to ask you to go and collect in a moment, not yet, the bread and the wine, and we're going to take communion together. I would ask you to bring it back to your seat so we can do it as one. But I'm going to ask you to do it in silence. So often we do that and we're singing a song as we go or we're chatting. I want you to do it in silence because I want you to be quietly reflecting and asking God, what do I need to bring to you in these next moments? So if I could invite you to stand. Collect bread and wine. We've got two tables at the front, two tables at the back. The bread is all gluten-free. And when you've got it, come back to uh, the seat. It is not actually wine, it's juice, blood-coloured drink is what I'm going to call it. Thanks, Andy.
you've got your bread and your wine, if you go back to your seats and keep hold of it. We're going to pray together, and then we're going to take it together. As you're heading back to your seats, and as we prepare to confess and repent, we're going to be using a a prayer that we took from the Church of England. They have a common book of prayer, but we've adapted it slightly to suit our context. But before we do, I just want to share this reminder with you. It's a quote from C.S. Lewis, and it says this, repentance is not something that God demands of you before he will take you back and which he could let you off if he chose. It is simply a description of what going back is like. It's not a hoop you have to jump through. It's an act of turning back to God. So can I ask you all to stand? And we're going to read out this prayer together. We'll do it all at once. You don't have to wait for me in echo. So let's go. Lord God, we have all sinned against you. We have done wrong in your sight. We are sorry and repent. Have mercy on us according to your love. Wash away our wrongdoing and cleanse us from our sin. Renew a right spirit within us and restore us to the joy of your salvation and forgiveness. Thank you, our Lord. Thank you that the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. Amen. Now let's take the bread together. If you are a follower of Jesus, this body was broken for you to cover your sin. And before we take the juice, the blood-colored drink that reminds us of the blood that purifies us from all sin, the blood that he shed to pay the price for sin. If there's anything that you feel you need to confess before God, that you need to repent of, take these moments to do it. And as you drink the, the juice, the blood reminder, know that you are purified. You're forgiven because he's washed it all away. Thank you, Jesus, your blood purifies us from all sin. Thank you for always advocating for us, for standing in our defense. 